Back on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, this is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. The Air Force says it's making progress in securing its weapon systems against cyber threats. The service's Cyber Resiliency Office for Weapon Systems, or CROWS, has been up and running for five years now. It has cyber experts embedded at several Air Force acquisition offices, and CROWS is getting ready to expand to the Space Force. For an update on some of their work, we're joined by Joe Bradley, he's the director of CROWS, and Lieutenant Colonel Zach Lehman, the CROWS materiel leader. And Mr. Bradley, let's start with the news, which is um, the, the new partnerships I mentioned that you're developing with Space Force. Can you tell me a little bit about what's going on there? And, and are, you know, are these, you know, new introductions to these Space Force missions or had they been kind of in the works prior to the creation of the Space Force when, when everybody was part of the same service? Thank you very much for having us. And, uh, and a great question. Uh, to be honest with you, it's a continuation and a of evolution of the discussions we've had with Space Force. Space Force, if you remember back from the uh, Cyber Resiliency Steering Group days, was an integral part, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, through the Director of Engineering or then the Chief uh, Information Officer. Uh, what we're doing is, as, as we work closely with the CIO's office, we also realize that we need to partner with the Program Executive Officer and the individual program communities. So when we talk about a uh, a partnership with space, it's now evolving our existing partnership and getting more into the uh the day-to-day aspects of the programs where we'll be able to uh, to make an even bigger difference. And as I understand it, the way this is kind of operationalized is through what y'all are calling cyber-focused teams, which will now be inserted into Space Force programs. Can you tell us, you know, f- foundationally what those teams actually do on a day-to-day basis in the, in the places where they already exist? Sure. So our cyber-focused teams are experts that are there to work with the program offices, you know, the, the chief engineers, the lead engineers, the program managers, and the prime contractors to ensure that the systems that we're acquiring and, and are fielding on behalf of the warfighter are, uh, are cyber resilient. So it's a, it's a group of unique specialties, and we are actually working with the space community right now to identify what specific series and categories and, and grades that they want to, uh, to work in their program offices with a template that we've used that's been historically uh, proven to work within the um, the non-space portfolios. So we're in the infancy. We basically had our first kickoff meeting with the, the program executive officers uh, in January of this year, and we're, uh, we're starting to work and build that construct out based on our leveraging the work that we've done with the non-space folks. In the programs where the team's already established, how established are they? How long have they been up and running, and, and what have they been able to contribute so far? Sure. I believe three years. It varies. It may be actually be four years, but but it varies as to um, which program offices. So I don't want to get into specifics of, of what they've they've done and what they found, but we've we've found that they've assisted us in uh, responding to the congressional data calls uh, and NDAA 1637 to build that budget display. We found that they have been very helpful in developing the the cyber uh, words that would go into acquisition documents like a statement of work, uh, like a specification, to make sure that we've got those hooks in. I know we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, System Security Engineering Guidebook, but they actually are the, the practitioners that will implement the tenets of that guidebook in the program offices and use that as a way to work with the industrial base, both our traditional and non-traditional defense industrial base partners, to ensure that, that the systems we build, uh, when they are networked together, uh, will be uh, resilient and, and able to provide the operational uh, needs, to satisfy the operational needs of the warfighter. 
Let's talk a bit about where you're drawing workforce from. How are you staffing up these teams? How large are they? What kind of experience and expertise are, are, are you looking for? Because the whole concept of weapon system cybersecurity is not a super old one, right? You're correct. And, and as you know, there's a, a huge demand signal right now uh, within the country for cyber professionals. So what we have found is um, we've actually had to go out and create a uh, learning pathway with my, our education and training team so that we can take some of the younger professionals and mid-career professionals and provide them with the cyber acumen to, uh, to be effective. You know, they've got solid system engineering or, or uh, logistics backgrounds, but now we're, we're kind of, you know, injecting them with some good acquisition cyber background so that they can do that. So we've got a, uh, an aware and an evolved path so that uh, they, they basically can, can walk the talk when it comes to cyber. And they, they, they're not going to be, um, you know, the world's preeminent cyber experts, but we are going to learn from the world's preeminent cyber experts and use that to create the coursework to, uh, to grow them uh, both personally and professionally. Uh, and that's kind of what we've been doing. Uh, Zach, I don't know if you want to throw anything in from. Copy that, sir. Yes, uh, the, in, in line with that, right, there's, there's a whole host of, uh, call it uh, current functional series, and, and Crows reaches out to uh, all of them to help pull them in to more or less admit that finding that one person that's a SME and say avionics and how hyper can come across its threat surfaces that we're learning from that and or uh, grooming that into how these different functional series are brought into say a cyber focus team and how we leverage the skills that those folks have as well as shape them to uh, provide value to our program offices. And kind of the, the words that, that everybody's been using for this all along are that you want to bake in cybersecurity, which suggests the main focus is on systems that are in development. But are the teams working at all on legacy systems, systems that already exist, looking for ways to harden those? The majority of our programs uh, are, are fielded programs, right? So uh, we look at opportunities, whether it's in uh, depot, midlife extensions, or just a tech refresh to increase the resilience. Um, a great example of that is uh, some work we did years ago. Uh, Reggie, I'm sure you probably remember the resilient embedded the GPS. Uh, we, we actually provided the initial outlay of research and development funds so that as an aircraft would come in for a midlife upgrade, they can then get that aspect and, and you know uh, incorporated within their weapon system baseline, and it would then harden that weapon system to a state better than it was before. And you know, I, I want to stress that because this is going to be an evolution. We are always going to learn uh, as our adversaries create more attack vectors, as they uh, try to look for more exploits. We have to. We can't just say that we're we got this great product and we're done and we're. We're, we're through. Reggie is a great example. In fact, uh, the GAO has uh, has actually uh, recognized that as a as a great lessons learned, a great uh, way to do this. So we will constantly look for ways to harden the systems further. And I also want to stress that it's not just material solutions that we look for. We look for the entire spectrum, you know, tactics, techniques, procedures, you know, doctrine. There are other ways to make sure that we are hardening our weapon systems and, and protecting our warfighters. Yeah, and a lot of this goes beyond cyber expertise, I would imagine, right? Because I, I know one of the things that y'all have been thinking about and working on for, for years now is getting some of this baking in into contract language. So, so maybe talk about the multidisciplinary aspects of this and, and, and how you apply all these principles to the acquisition process. Sure thing. 
that's a great question because that's exactly where the focus is on our new systems. We have an opportunity. We have a clean sheet. We have the opportunity to design this, you know, from the from the, the ground up. So we actually are working with the acquisition community, and by that I mean program managers, logisticians, test and evaluation folks, systems engineers, even our finance folks uh, are embedded with us because they have an, a vested interest. Because I can tell you that I can develop this really elaborate solution, but if it's not financially feasible to implement, then I, I've wasted time and money. So we require the entirety of, of the acquisition workforce to help us to, uh, to build it right from the, from the onset. And we use the acquisition guidebook, the system security acquisition guidebook, uh, as a uh, engineering guidebook, excuse me, as a, uh, a starting point. When we develop the language that's going to go into the acquisition documentation, we reached out through NDIA, the National Defense Industrial Association, uh, so they could uh, contact their partners because we don't want and mandate language that is untenable uh, from, our, from our defense industrial base. So we want to make sure that the language that we put out there is language that they can accept and they can achieve. If we build a guidebook that everybody can use instead of just a mandate, they're going to be more apt to want to embrace it and use it. And I found that that, that is exactly what's happened with our, our guidebook. You know, we've, as we've learned more, we've, uh, we've expanded the guidebook. So, um, yeah, that's exactly what we're doing, and, and we want to make sure that it's not just an engineering thing because cyber is not just an engineering thing. It is a, an entire spectrum. That's Joe Bradley, the director of the Air Force Cyber Resiliency Office for Weapon Systems, or CROWS. Also with us is Lieutenant Colonel Zach Lehman, the CROWS Material Leader. We'll hear some more details from Colonel Lehman on that forthcoming guidebook after a quick break. This is on DOD on Federal News Radio part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbu. Back on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. And we're talking in this part of the show with Joe Bradley and Lieutenant Colonel Zach Lehman. They are, respectively, the Director and Materiel Leader for the Air Force Cyber Resiliency Office for Weapon Systems. Colonel Lehman, let's dig into the guidebook that Mr. Bradley mentioned just before the break and and maybe take a couple steps back and talk about what the objective is behind uh, writing that in the first place. I understand there's a a public release coming for the 5.0 version. Yeah, good good question as well. So when it comes down to the system security engineering cyber guidebook, the the initial intent there was to to appreciate the fact that in, say, the, the policy and guidance trade space that, that touched cyber, there was, I'd say, over 10,000 pages of policy and guidance, and um, it would be pushed in, say, the different functional stovepipes where some direction and guidance would get to some pieces of the workforce. Um, and as those, say, different functional chains would come together in an integrated product team that there would have to be a higher level understanding of how those came to play in in how to acquire a weapon system. And so from the guidebook's perspective, it took that broad view and said, how do we boil this down to sound system security engineering best practices? How do we streamline all that guidance and say where the duplication exists, where contradictions might exist. How do we um, create a single document that can help backstop any blind spots that that were in that policy and guidance? And, And how do we bring together those functional perspectives to say, 
How do we walk through the acquisition timeline? And where do we apply these best practices? And how does that then translate to, hey, I'm in a different program office. I'm in a different, uh, say, time slice of the acquisition timeline. What are the things that I should be thinking about as we participate in these integrated product teams? And uh, how do we apply unity of effort across the Department of the Air Force to apply these best practices that then result in more consistent outcomes from an acquirer's perspective in taking in cyber resiliency and, and how we shape those expectations with industry. Yeah, and it sounds like from everything you just said, Colonel, the main target audience here is the acquisition workforce, the acquisition community. But I wonder, since this is going to be a public release, is it also at least partly directed to industry so that they know, you know, what the Air Force expects? Oh, yeah, one hundred percent. It's um, it's all about managing expectations. Right. So we can point back to say, hey, there's a standard key performance parameter that talks to system survivability. And that uh, that standard key performance parameter is something that gets pushed into requirements. But how those words get derived into contractual outcomes is up to the different program offices. And so that can be interpreted in different ways. And it's important as, say, we build toward a vision of the Air Force for joint all-domain command and control that we're foundationalizing a unity of effort perspective in how cyber gets appreciated and derived into consistent outcomes for what ultimately goes on contract and what conversations that drives from an acquisition perspective to say, how do we manage system design? How do we manage um, how that design gets uh, reviewed and approved through the acquisition process and, and how we help streamline that for both the government acquirers and uh, our industry partners, uh, because we're walking that acquisition timeline hand in hand. And so for a public release perspective, yeah, we're we're expecting that that gets into the hands of our industry partners. And, you know, it's just not a, a blind Hail Mary there that's um, our cyber focus teams as well help carry that message as, say, RFPs go out the door. Let's uh, zoom back out a little bit and talk a little bit more generally about Crows, because I'm curious um, what you all have come up with in terms of, of measures of success and, and gauging which best practices actually make make some progress against the problem. I, you know, What ways have you figured out to tell whether a particular practice actually makes a system more cyber resilient? So we've talked about baking in cyber resiliency. We've also talked about um, mitigating vulnerabilities on uh, fielded weapon systems. And, and the way you measure that is different for each of them. So uh, Mr. Bradley touched on uh, the cyber budget display uh, in response to AA 1637, right? That, that is a, what are the known interactions on, say, the review of system design uh, and where financing is being placed on resolving 
known vulnerabilities. That is uh, easily measurable, and that gets included into the, uh, say, annual reporting role that CROWS facilitates across the Department of the Air Force. Um, on the bake-in perspective, there is a cyber health assessment that CROWS facilitates through our cyber focus teams, which touches on uh, a handful of different aspects that come into play in how our systems are acquired. So uh, those are things like program protection plans, what kind of artifacts and documentation is provided from an approval to operate perspective, um, what pieces of that goes into the risk management framework and how the evolution of, of threat is driving an understanding of how we respond now during the acquisition timeline to threats that are evolving so that we're not just delivering weapons systems that are driven by long timelines to threats that have evolved since the requirement was put on contract. And so from that perspective, uh, that information is both provided back up through annual reporting and then also provided to uh, program executive officers as well as their directors of engineering to say, how can we, CROWS and uh, the workforce in the acquisition community, hone our understanding of those acquisition practices to apply resources that improve those products over time. The budget discussion gets back to one of the, the last things I wanted to ask you all about, which is, you know, I, I remember back when Crows first stood up in 2017 or so, one of the concerns around that time or one of the things that you knew was going to be challenging was that there, there really wasn't a process yet to put funding against this problem because it hadn't been a major consideration in the past. F from what you guys are saying, it sounds like the, the budget or the Crows itself is mature enough and the process is mature enough that, that big Air Force really is putting money against this problem at this point. Yeah, you're exactly right. And um, you mentioned maturity. Uh, one of the things that, that I like to think is we've evolved our, uh, our processes significantly uh, over time. Um, we're making data-driven decisions now in terms of what to invest in. We also have created a completely transparent requirements review board where programs and, uh, and even sometimes vendors uh, will come in with unique solutions. And they, they get vetted up through the program office. Our program office our chief engineer, our finance, contracting, on to Colonel Lehman and then on to myself to see if they're in scope with Crows, whether they've got, um, is the juice worth the squeeze, right, when we do an investment? Because uh, as we all know, you know, dollars are limited. I, I tell people that I could spend the entire obligation authority of the Air Force and still not solve all the threats. So what we have to do is we have to, uh, we have to look at things with really, a intelligence lens, right, where are those threats, where are those vectors, and that's how we, we kind of, make those data-driven decisions that determine what to invest in as well as what the, you know, what's the timeline on these mitigation solutions? Is this something that is needed immediately or is this something that we do have some time to actually develop a more uh, esoteric and robust solution to? So uh, I, I like to think that uh, our requirements review process that we have in place with a, with a board uh, provides us that uh, transparency that, that I believe is needed, uh, but also um, it enables that, that anybody could come in, whether it's a user, whether it's, uh, you know, folks that are involved in the, uh, the chief's operational imperatives, uh, you know, they can come in and they have insight into visibility and what our investment strategy is. And uh, is it consistent with the objectives of the Air Force and the Space Force? And then how do we make sure that we continue to, to keep that trust there, that we're, not, we're just not investing in uh, 
in science fair projects that have no utility. And I, I, I'm very, you know, I'm very pleased with the way this has worked out. I, I think we've got a lot of strong partnerships. And like I said, uh, transparency is key to me, especially when it comes to uh, financial management. That is Joe Bradley, the director of the Air Force Cyber Resiliency Office for Weapon Systems, or CROWS. We've also been talking with Lieutenant Colonel Zach Lehman, the CROWS material leader.